0: An outbreak of a virus in China has ramped up fears that we're facing a crisis similar to the SARS outbreak nearly 20 years ago. Cases of this coronavirus have numbered in the thousands in the last four weeks, but so far, just three have been confirmed in Canada. I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is Ten Three. We talked to the National Post's health reporter, Sharon Kirky about how this outbreak started, why this virus has people worried, and how Canadian officials have responded. Don't forget, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your favorite shows. We'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. So, Sharon, Canadians have been hearing a lot in the last couple of weeks about A coronavirus that originated in Wuhan, China. Before we get into some more details about where things are at currently, just can we break down for a second? What exactly is a coronavirus and where does one originate?
1: Well, a coronavirus is actually, you know, kind of this family of viruses, and there are seven or nine of them. So this coronavirus is a new one, they call it a novel coronavirus. And it's in the same family as SARS. Um, And it, you know, it started circulating around the same time of year as SARS. Um, And coronaviruses, they usually cause, you know, disease in mammals and birds, but they can jump to humans, just like SARS did, which went from bats to civets to humans. We still don't know the origins of this novel coronavirus, though you know what we do know, it was traced to a fish market in Wuhan that was also selling slaughtered wild game, including snakes. And there's some belief that, like SARS, this virus originated in Chinese seahorse bats, but that it used another host to leap to humans, so another animal host. Mm-hmm. You know, like SARS, it's it's transmitted by droplets, so. Snakes Which is why um, our first confirmed case in Toronto, a husband and wife who flew home to Toronto from Wuhan, health officials here in Toronto are now tracing people who sat within a two meter radius of the couple, because that's the area that they figure um, the droplets were most likely to spread to, even though the couple, um, we were told, were wearing face masks. Um, But it's a little bit different from SARS because... um, it's not showing the same symptoms as SARS. It, you know, people don't tend to have a lot of sneezing and, and runny nose. They tend to have a dry cough and a fever. And in some cases, people are infected and are not showing symptoms at all, which really is worrisome because that makes it that much harder to sort of contain the spread of it.
0: Now you've mentioned SARS a couple of times for people who may not remember in 2003, there was an outbreak of SARS, uh, originated in China as well. Um, and a large portion of the Canadian cases were in the Toronto area, correct?
1: Right. Uh, Toronto really was the epicenter of the SARS outbreak. 44 people died. And it was quite um, worrisome at the time because SARS was, um, you know, it was right at the time before we had a public health agency of Canada. There are lots of differences between SARS back then of 2003 and and today when we're confronting this virus 17 years later. SARS got into the hospital environment. There were infections in frontline staff. And also we had what were called super shutters, so these people who got sick and shed massive amounts of the virus. And also at the time, you know, we've learned a lot about good infection control precautions that we, we knew about in 2003, but we really weren't Doing them as well as we should have been doing, right? So we learned in 2003 about infection control practices that uh, how important they were and doing them more reliably using more protective gear. But there was a lot of communication breakdown, and and things got. Uh, there's a lot of criticism about how it was handled. Nurses, for for one, felt very kind of orphaned that they weren't being protected, that they weren't being told in advance of what was happening. So things are, are different today. I was speaking with the head of the Registered Nurses of Ontario a couple of days ago, and she said it's like night and day between this virus and SARS, that, that nurses are feeling very protected, that the hospitals are telling them up, you know, ahead of time. There's been a lot of briefing even before the first case arrived in Toronto. But it's you know in in Toronto it's interesting you know it, the, since report of the first ca- case was confirmed over the weekend uh, my colleague Richard Warnica today reporting in the National Post that you know people on the subways and in the streetcars are wearing face masks there seems to be a little bit of unease uh, I wouldn't say panic but certainly people are talking about it so there's sort of that sort of germ of fear still that's held over from the SARS era that we're now seeing with this new virus
0: how do we kind of get to that point of Of panic. Every year, Canada, uh, various provinces in Canada deal with uh, flu and trying to control the number of flu cases, but there are many, many flu cases in Canada every year. There are other diseases like tuberculosis around the world that impact tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people around the world. What is it about a virus like this that sparks concern and even widespread panic in some cases?
1: you know, the human race has this instinctive fear of contagion, right? We understand as human beings, sort of the idea of germ theory. And we all have kind of a healthy respect for the fear of contagion. It's been part of the human history, you know, going back millennia. And that's part of the human consciousness, I think, is kind of this self-preservation we feel, right? And that's a good thing, so long as we temper it with, you know, really rational thought. That, just like you said, you know, we have to put this virus into context. Every year in Canada, you know, flu sends fourteen thousand people to hospital and and kills thirty five hundred of them. So, you know, and so far we don't know that. You know, there are a lot of unknowns so far with the coronavirus, um, this new novel virus. We don't know what the fatality rate is. Um, SARS, the fatality rate was 10%. Uh, so far, we it looks like maybe the coronavirus might be this new virus might be three percent, but again, that's just based on relatively small number of reported cases, and all of those reported cases are the most severe cases. We don't know how many people have contracted this virus who just had mild symptoms and never went to a doctor. So mm-hmm. we, we we still haven't been able to flush out just you know how serious really it is. Uh, how capable it is of causing severe disease, even how it's transmitted or how easily it's transmitted. And so, you know, there's there's still so many unknowns here.
0: Do we have an idea of how many total cases there have been reported worldwide so far?
1: Well, the latest information that I had is that we're now looking at more than 6,000 cases The vast majority of them in China and 132 related deaths so far. Mm -hmm. We've got three confirmed cases so far in Canada, two in Toronto, one in BC. I think the BC is still presumptive, but they they expect to confirm that. There are cases in the US, cases in Australia, cases in France, cases in Germany and Hong Kong and and, uh, other places. So, you know, today as we speak, the World Health Organization has called a meeting to determine whether. to declare this a a global health emergency. They met last week and at that point decided no it's a global emergency in China but it's not yet a global health emergency. I suspect what we're going to hear today is that they will declare it a global health emergency um, and we'll have to see what, what that actually means. I don't know what it means from our perspective. I think it just means that everybody now is, you know, even more so will be expected to report cases as they occur. There'll be much more conversation between different levels of government and the countries. Um, And scientists, it's really interesting to see what's happened. You know, the scientific community has really um, jumped on this, and they are sharing their information as quickly as it comes in. A lot of the journals have now opened up, you know, they're uh, offering open access to data as it comes in. Certainly the Chinese, this time around, are being um, accredited for sharing their information very quickly, very rapidly, which was very different from the SARS case, where the Chinese were accused of, of sitting on on evidence that this this virus was in their community and spreading quite rapidly. So all of those are are very good things. You know, we, we we seem to be much more open and transparent this time around as everybody tries to contain this virus.
0: Do you think that the sense of concern or panic or worry around something like coronavirus might be heightened because there is potentially a lack of trust of the Chinese regime, especially considering the how they handled SARS back in two thousand three, that people may think that w- we're not getting the full picture.
1: Yeah, I think there might be an element of that for sure. I mean, certainly, uh, I don't know if you've seen some of the stuff on on social media, but you know, yesterday, for example, I, you know, I don't know if it's so much trust or what's real because I was watching images of you know airport workers toppling over uh, people in China using chairs to break through the windows of their quarantine rooms. So it's really hard to understand, you know, separate what's real and what's not. Um, and there, yeah, I think there might be a certain element of distrust, but you could also extend that to even in our country, people are dis- can be distrustful of what they're hearing from the government. And certainly there were some mixed messages early on. I mean, I uh, early on in the case involving the Toronto gentleman and his wife over the weekend, you know, it wasn't clear when they got off the flight had they reported their symptoms to the border service agents, you know, initially, that that was unclear. Um, you know, uh, had the had the airports, did they even have these um, detection measures in place at the time this gentleman landed, and that wasn't clear. So, you know, it, lots of mixed messaging around that. So that certainly doesn't help people, right? It doesn't help people feel calm and think, okay, everybody's got this under control. Um, But again, you know, we have to put it all into perspective and, you know, protect yourself. You know, people, apparently there's been this global run on face masks, which, you know, the ordinary paper face masks are really not going to help you in this because they don't have a hermetic seal. So small droplets of you know, sneezing and virus can easily get into them. Mm -hmm. You know, the only face masks that are very protective are the N95s that that you see in hospitals. Um, But, you know, people are running and getting face masks, you know, people are canceling social events. Certainly, they're encouraging that in China, but mm, I don't know if we should be doing that here. And it's just basic hygiene that we should be doing anyway, especially around flu season, you know, wash your hands, sneeze into your sleeve, normal, healthy hygiene measures, and, you know, get things like, your flu shot. I mean, it's not going to protect you against the coronavirus, but it will protect you against the flu, which you're far more likely to get than you are coronavirus.
0: Is that the, the main message that we're getting from federal and provincial health officials, just maintain good hygiene, good transmission protection, things like that? Is it, or are we getting any other messaging about how they're, they're planning to be proactive and, and find cases and detect uh, new infections?
1: Well, you know, we're getting two messages. We're getting every, you know, the risk to the Canadian population is very low. That's what we're being told by public health agency of canada officials and the province their provincial counterparts you know telling people not to not to overly panic but you know also be just like what we discussed about take just normal preventive precautionary measures they have been good about meeting holding regular briefings with the media almost daily either the federal uh, health officials or pro- provinces depending on which uh, provinces are are being affected so there does seem to be this willingness to talk and to answer questions and to be available to answer questions and to try to instill some sense of normalcy and making sure people don't overreact unduly and to really put it into perspective.
0: How is someone identified as being a presumptive case? Like what is it people going to the doctor? I have symptoms. I, I traveled overseas. Uh, are people being identified at airports? How is a case in Canada identified?
1: Well, what they're doing now is screening at the three international airports, so Montreal, Vancouver, and Toronto the international airports. Now, there are not a lot of flights coming coming out of China anymore, but they do have measures in place. So they have at the border uh, the electronic kiosks, they've added a specific question, screening question, have you been to Wuhan, China within the last 14 days? Because the incubation period at this point is considered to be anywhere from three to 14 days. And then if they press yes, uh, then that prompts another level of screening they're flagged by the border, they should be flagged by the border service agent, who will then ask them, you know, do you are you exhibiting any symptoms of illness? In the case in Toronto, it later came out that in fact, this gentleman who got on the flight, left Wuhan and on a connecting flight to Toronto started to develop symptoms, got off the plane and and did in fact uh, self report that he had been in Wuhan and was feeling mildly ill. The border service agent um, thought that he wasn't sick enough to then flag to public health uh, officials at the airport. And so this gentleman got into a car and went home. And then it was the next day that... He fell quite ill and um, uh, called paramedics and then alerted them too as well that he had been in Wuhan. So the paramedics came in protective gear and then called ahead to the hospital. He was taken immediately into isolation and uh, the testing was done. Uh, they can test for it. The te- initial test proved positive, but it had to be confirmed by the National Microbiology Lab in Winnipeg, which is doing all of the testing to determine whether a presumptive case is actually a confirmed case.
0: How long does an outbreak of something like this tend to last? Like several months? Could it go into next year? Depending on on precautions that agencies and governments take,
1: yeah, it, you know it's hard to see with with SARS. We saw kind of two phases of it, right? And with seasonal flu, we see you know the the typical flu flu season. So because this is a novel virus, because we don't really know for sure the original source, we don't know you know what's going to happen. Everybody's saying well, will will this just sort of is this the uh, the height of it now? Because uh, the first cases were first first emerged around uh, December thirty first, New Year's Eve, when the report started coming out of Wuhan there are these mysterious cases of pneumonia. Um, so we're what, you know, we're a month out from that. Will it burn itself out? It's hard to tell. Uh, I think the next few days and weeks are, will certainly be crucial as we see whether the people who've now become infected, whether how many people they then infect. Again, that's an unknown. We don't know what the reproduction of this virus is. The latest modeling suggests that ev- every person, one person infected in China went on to infect another two and a half people on average average. But that was, you know, in the early days before people really got a grasp of what was happening. And perhaps that's more contained now with the measures that are put in place to sort of stop the spread of this virus. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to know what we'll see. Certainly the numbers keep rising, you know, and, and they don't show any signs of, of slowing down right now.
0: So while officials in Canada are saying that the risk to the Canadian population is generally fairly low, who is most at risk here? Is this something that would affect the elderly and young people more, people with compromised immune systems, or has it is it a wide swath of, of the population who could contract it if they come in contact with it?
1: Well, it's interesting because last Friday, The Lancet, which is one of the world's top medical journals, actually published a flurry of papers from Chinese scientists who looked at the first 41 confirmed cases of Wuhan virus in China, as well as a cluster in a family of seven. Now, again, these are small sample sizes, but on the 41 cases, it was quite interesting because what they found was in fact, most of the people who were infected were relatively healthy people. They didn't have underlying illnesses. They didn't have, for example, diabetes or or heart disease. They tended to be otherwise healthy, middle-aged people, more men than women, which we we, we don't understand why that is. Again, a small. This is still a small sample size. And then they also found that you know a, a significant proportion of them did dis- develop a respiratory distress syndrome, which is you know severe problems breathing, and they required either ventilation, or admission to an intensive care unit. Again, those were the first 41 confirmed cases. We need to much larger sample sizes to figure out who's really most vulnerable. With SARS, certainly, you know, it was older people. So it's still, again, in the early days, it's just yet one of those other unknowns about who really is most vulnerable to this virus.
0: I know we'll be following this closely in the days and weeks ahead. Sharon, thanks for your time.
1: Okay, my pleasure, Dave.
0: 10.3 is produced by Carson Jarama. Theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest Sharon Kirkey. More from her at nationalpost.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening.